0: peace be with you. Is that something y'all say here? Good morning. There you go. I like it. Uh, I'm. My name's Drew. I'm one of the pastors over at Sojourn Heights, as Taylor said, and it is a privilege to be with all of you this morning. Um, I'm, I'm preaching, again, as Taylor said, a standalone sermon on the topic of money, as guest preachers are apt to do. Um, now, there, there are some There are some topics for which the Bible is relatively silent and Christians tend to be pretty loud, right? And there are other topics for which the Bible is pretty loud and Christians tend to be relatively silent. Today's topic is an example of the latter. Um, But before we get into our text, I want to talk about dragons, nerd alert, right? Um, in, In literature, dragons are often personified as antagonists or the bad guys, uh, we, we associate many of them with violence, mistrust, and greed. So, who's familiar with smog? All right, here we go. Uh, smog is a dragon in Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit. For, for nearly 200 years, he lived in a lonely mountain, hoarding piles and piles of gold and gemstones. He was outrageously wealthy, but his wealth served no purpose. Right, so years and years of literally sleeping upon his fortune had embedded um, precious metals within his scales, forming an impenetra- impenetrable external shell. So hopefully you pick up on that metaphor. But in the book, smog is described as a most specially greedy, strong, and wicked worm. His name is taken from a Germanic word meaning to squeeze through a hole, right, which conjures the worm imagery. But it also It also refers to Jesus' warning to the rich, that it's more difficult for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Here's the image that I want for us to picture as we move forward. A wealthy, greedy dragon sleeping upon his fortune. Got it? All right. Now, what is greed? What is greed? Where do we draw the line between humble wealth and true greed because you can be you can be a greedy billionaire we all agree right you can also be a greedy toddler and all the parents know that that's true as well I um, am a greedy grown man with a mortgage a retirement portfolio a minivan with leather seats closet full of clothes multiple bags of gummy bears in my pantry um, we are we are Greedy something-in-betweens. And those things are not inherently bad, uh, but it is worth asking, what what kind of greedy are you? For repentant, Christ-following citizens of the wealthiest nation in history, that should not be an awkward or uncommon question. What kind of greedy are you? Now, let's give some context to 2 Corinthians 8. As the name suggests the book of second corinthians was written to christians in corinth a city in greece known for its commercial enterprise wealth and luxury macedonia on the other hand was desperately poor the phrase extreme poverty in verse two can be translated as rock bottom poverty the region had fallen on hard times financially and the churches were being persecuted for their faith and so corinth was rich macedonia was poor But that wasn't all. Over the course of several centuries, the Greeks and the Macedonians had become bitter political rivals. The two regions had a long history of conflict and competition. And so um, it is absolutely strategic that Paul would encourage generous giving amongst the Greeks by telling them about the generous giving of the Macedonians. Let's read verses 1 through 6. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. And so, as the Apostle Paul traveled around the ancient world planting churches, he was taking a collection on behalf of Christians in Jerusalem. They were facing double taxation and a deadly famine. Churches throughout the world were taking part in the relief of the saints in Jerusalem, even churches like the Macedonians who were likewise poor. But get this, verse 4 tells us that the Macedonians were begging Paul. They were begging Paul. They were poor and they were begging. They were poor beggars, begging not to receive, begging to give. Despite their severe test of affliction, their extreme poverty, joy, their joy had overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Verse 3 tells us they gave beyond their means, beyond their ability. They gave miraculously. The manner of their giving was not natural. It was supernatural. So what in the world could persuade a group of people to do something like that? What could compel a poverty-stricken person to beg for the favor of giving money away? What could produce that degree of self-sacrificing generosity? The answer, I believe, is that the generosity of the Macedonian churches was the product of God's grace, God's free and unmerited blessing. Grace is a clear theme within this passage because... Biblical generosity is grace-motivated grace. Grace Grace-motivated grace. Biblical generosity is God's grace to us, overflowing in us, extending God's grace to others. The Macedonians were given God's grace for acts of grace, which the poor Christians in Jerusalem were to receive as God's grace. Grace Grace-motivated acts of grace. See, The Macedonians were rolling themselves into God's God's process for distributing grace to his people. What a privilege. God initiates his grace, we receive his grace, we steward his grace, we distribute his grace. In fact, I want to challenge us this morning, I want to challenge you to begin thinking about money as grace. And not just money, think about your home and your spare bedroom and your car as the currency of grace. According to the Bible, all that we have has been given to us by God. How would your life change if you looked at your bank account every month and thought, this is God's grace to me and I'm called to steward this grace on behalf of others? All right, back to Second Corinthians. What, what is this passage calling us to? Verse 7 makes it explicit. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. See that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is calling the Corinthians to grow in this act of grace, which means God is calling us to grow in this act of grace. No matter how generous you are currently, you are, you are being called to grow. So if you're, if you're greedy, grow in this act of grace. If you're generous, grow in this act of grace. If you're giving 0%, 10%, 90%, grow in this act of grace. If you're in debt, if you're a student, if you're an engineer, if your spouse manages the finances, grow in this act of grace. Verse 8 makes it clear that Paul was not commanding a gift, right? He was not establishing a new set of rules. Some of us would prefer to be given a set of rules, right? A fixed income percentage for biblical charity. So let me say this. I do think we could make a case from the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 23 that 10% is the starting place for Christian giving to the local church. But I'm I'm not interested in in expounding upon that case today. Um, I don't want to talk about tithing. I don't want to talk about net giving versus gross giving. I think it misses the point, honestly. My prayer for Sojourn Galleria this week has been that God would make you a generous people, not just a rule-following people. After all, 10% of 25,000 is arguably more generous than 10% of 250,000. Think about it. You're not generous because you pay your taxes. You're just following the rules. You're being obedient to the governing authorities. And Christians are absolutely called to be obedient to the governing governing authorities. But there's a big difference. Christians don't give out of duty or fear of punishment. Christians give out of joy in Jesus Christ. And so Paul was not establishing a new set of rules. I have no interest in establishing a new set of rules. But but generosity and sincere love were the product of great grace in Macedonia. And so it was worth asking, is there great grace in Corinth? Was there great grace in Corinth? Is there great grace in Houston? So why do we fail to give like the Macedonians gave? What, what prevents us? What gets in the way as we're, as we're seeking to grow in this act of grace? I've got five potential reasons. Some may apply to you, others may not. Uh, but we'll be working through these one by one. Reason number one, we don't understand how the gospel informs our finances. Reason number two, we are consumeristic with money, greedy for money, anxious about money, or all of the above. Reason three, we don't trust the church. Reason four, we don't know how to budget, at least not for generosity. And reason number five, we don't have the same sort of joy the Macedonians have. Now I want to linger here a bit on reason number one. We don't understand how the gospel informs our finances. Let's read verse nine. All you will ever need to know about generosity is here in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. This is the doctrine of the incarnation applied to our finances. The doctrine of the incarnation is that beautiful, inconceivable truth that Jesus Christ has become a man. Jesus put on flesh that we might no longer live according to the flesh Jesus humbled himself into our world in order to exalt us into his he became poor so that we might become rich beyond measure the Macedonians gave themselves first to the Lord it says and this is the Lord they gave themselves to to, to the Lord who became poor to make them rich and so likewise, we should give ourselves first to the Lord. And, and, and you need to know, that's going to cost you. Giving yourself first to the Lord is going to cost you. Because if we're saved by our own merit and good deeds, there's only so much God can ask of us. But if we're saved by God's grace, and God's grace alone, and at infinite cost to him, there is nothing he can't ask of us. And when we give ourselves first to him, we understand this. Now, if you're, if you're a non-Christian with us this morning, I, I don't want you to hear me asking for your money. Um, all we want for you is to see this Jesus, this Lord who is willing to suffer and die to make you rich. Whereas smog rests upon a bed of gold, Christians rest upon the riches of Christ. We we lay upon a bed of God's free and unmerited favor. And so we're glad you're here, and it's our prayer that you would see this king, and you would submit your life to him, and trust him to raise you in glory. I have a quick story. It's about another dragon, two dragons today, uh, but this time it's from C.S. Lewis's book, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. It's a story about how God can turn a greedy dragon into his child. So Eustace was a boy in possession of a large fortune. But like Smog, he slept upon it. He slept on his treasure. And when he awoke, he found that he had become a dragon. His greed and selfishness had transformed him completely. He was cut off from the rest of humanity. He was a dragon. He was alone and in despair. Even so, Aslan arrives. The wise, compassionate, and mysterious king draws near to Eustace. He leads Eustace to a garden at the top of a mountain, to a well at the center of that garden. The water in the well had the power to heal, and so Eustace begins to peel off his dragon skin. But he does so in vain. Because every layer that he peels away, underneath he finds another layer deeper than before. So despite his efforts, he cannot shed his skin. And so the king speaks. Haslan speaks. He says, you will have to let me undress you. Eustace surrenders. He lays down on his back, completely passive, as the king peels back his scales. It's terribly painful, but it's pleasurable at the same time. Kind of like giving. And after washing Eustace in the water, the king begins to dress him in new clothes. He's a boy again. Brothers and sisters, our, our rough, impenetrable flesh is the flesh that Jesus put on flesh to peel away. We were dragons, but he can make us children. He can take us to the top of that mountain, to the well, to a well of living water. He can wash us clean. He wants to make us rich. This king wants to make you rich, but you can't keep sleeping on your treasure. This is how the gospel informs our finances. Jesus was rich in heaven but he became poor on earth to make us rich in heaven. And now that our treasure is secure in heaven, we can become poor on earth to make others rich in heaven. That's not a prosperity gospel. That's not a poverty gospel. That's the gospel. So we've we've addressed the first potential reason why we don't give like the Macedonians. We'll move more quickly through the others. Reason number two. We are consumeristic with money, greedy for money, anxious about money, or all of the above. So no matter your particular struggle here, the answer is twofold. First, I think we need to see our money as the currency of grace. We already already discussed that. But second, we need to remember the riches we've been given in Christ. Everything we could ever want. All the comfort, all the power, All the security is found in Jesus Christ. Money is not significance. Money is not security. Money is just a tool. It's a currency given by God for the distribution of grace. So so ask yourself, what purpose is your money going to serve in 10,000 years? Because it can still be serving a purpose. But what purpose will it be serving in 10,000 years? Worldly treasure looks like life. But ultimately, we either kill ourselves climbing that mountain, or we reach the peak alone and unsatisfied. Now, heavenly treasure, on the other hand, looks like Death. But to those faith-filled men and women who plunge themselves into that abyss, God grants fruitfulness, joy, resurrection, life, and one hundredfold the riches. So how can we medicate our consumerism, our greed, our anxiety? By, By giving money away. That's how we push back on a culture of greed, by By giving away more than we're comfortable giving. Generosity is both our strongest defense and most dangerous weapon against greed. Speaking for myself, um, I, I don't try to give generously because I am generous. I try to give generously because I want to be generous. I try to give generously because I know I'm greedy. Because I, I truly believe there is an inverse correlation between the amount of money I'm sleeping on and the amount of spiritual power I'm walking in. Reason number three, we don't trust the church. Listen, I get it. Um, you may have been burned by the church in the past. Maybe the, the charlatans on TV are ruining it for everybody. I don't know. There are plenty of reasons not to trust the church. But again, Christians give themselves first to the Lord. We give our resources to the Lord. We shouldn't assume that the Christians in Jerusalem, right? We shouldn't assume the Christians in Jerusalem spent the money the Macedonians had sent perfectly, right? You, you, don't, you don't steward your money perfectly perfectly Sojourn will not steward its money perfectly. Now, there are measures put in place to help us, but you can give trusting that the same God who gives you grace to be generous can give your leaders grace to steward it well, to steward it faithfully. Keep in mind, Jesus doesn't give us annual reports or ROI calculations or baptism growth charts. He simply says, trust me and follow me, even when you can't see the short-term outcome. Because the long-term outcome is glorious, and it's for you, and you can trust my promises. Reason number four, we don't know how to budget, or at least to budget for generosity. And this potential reason has little to do with whether or not our hearts are generous. Sometimes we just need help. Some people are better with money than others. This is another, another reason why God has given us to one another. So, I haven't spoken to them, but I can say with confidence, your financial stewardship team wants to help you. Um, there are probably people within your parish who would love to help you. I don't necessarily say that so that you'll give to sojourn. I say that because I want you to know the true wealth being generous as Christ is generous. I want you to know the true joy of becoming poor so that someone else can become rich. Hear me. This will take time. And that's okay. God's grace is for his children, and his children will want to be generous like he is generous. But he's not tapping his foot and wondering when we're going to figure all this out. He's patiently and graciously inviting you and me into a life of generosity. And there is grace for us in the meantime. Reason number five, we don't have the same sort of joy the Macedonians have. Take one last look at verse two. Paul says of the Macedonians, their abundance of joy, And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. (laughs) Okay, quick math equation for us, all right? In Macedonia, joy plus poverty equaled generosity. Joy plus poverty equaled generosity. So in, in Houston, what should joy plus wealth what, what should joy plus wealth equal? Because you live in a wealthy neighborhood, in a, in a wealthy city, in the wealthiest country in the history of the world, in, in Houston and, and everywhere, really. The Macedonians have ruined it for us because if we fail to overflow in a wealth of generosity, it's not because we lack wealth, it's because we lack joy. We find this joy as we dwell on verse 9, as we believe the gospel fully, as we abide in Christ, who promises full joy. So God's grace is the wellspring of our joy. And our joy in God's grace is the wellspring of our generosity. In conclusion, the incarnation of Jesus frees us to grow in the grace of generosity. Jesus went from Riches to rags so that we can go from rags to riches. We can now give as Christ gave, joyfully and freely. We can grow in the grace of generosity. I I don't know what this looks like for you personally, um, but I challenge you in light of verse 9, this week, do something that is going to, to grow you, to stretch you, to challenge you in this area. So maybe you you open your home and dinner table to your neighbors. Maybe you ask for help and accountability in drafting your budget. Maybe you begin giving to the local church. Maybe you increase what you're giving to the local church. Maybe you volunteer one night a month at the food bank. Maybe you buy Subway gift cards for the hungry. Maybe you support one of our church planting residents. Uh, Maybe you step in to meet the needs of a parish member. Maybe, maybe you share your rainy day fund with someone else who's having a rainy day. This this is how you become more generous, by acting generously. Every grace needs to be exercised in order to grow. Exercising generosity, even when it doesn't feel good, will over time make you more generous. And if you're looking for the power to do so, it's there in verse 9. Let me say one more thing. This is important. Some of us may really be struggling financially. Um, Some of us may feel more like poor Macedonians than rich Corinthians. And honestly, Paul's letters to the Macedonians were very different than his letters to the Corinthians. Throughout history, the majority of God's people have been poor and afflicted. And verse 9, which speaks of the poverty of Christ, has given them great power and confidence. And so if that's you, I want to say keep working hard, but, but rest easy knowing that you've already been made rich and that God has given you brothers and sisters to assist in your earthly provision. And now this is for everybody. Some of the people sitting in this room have been called by God, commanded by God, to joyfully care for those who need it. In the words of one theologian, earthly need is an occasion for heavenly help. So let's grow in the grace of generosity together as a gospel family. Biblical generosity is God's grace to us, overflowing in us, extending God's grace to others. So from start to finish, this is the work of God's grace in us and through us. He is patient, and He will do it. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for the church that You're planting here. Um, for the faithfulness of these these men and women. Um, God, thank you for Jesus, our King. Um, He is such an easy King to love and respect um, because we know that he became poor to make us rich. And We we look forward to the day um, when we get to enjoy you in all of your fullness. Um, And today, God, we, we ask for the faith that we need to follow in Jesus' footsteps. Because there are others who need to be made rich the way we we have. So make us a generous people. Not just a rule-following people, but a generous people from the heart. In Jesus' name we pray.